This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Chronic absenteeism escalated with the pandemic and no elevator is returning it to pre-COVID levels. So absenteeism is with us as we speak. Now, what do we mean by chronic absenteeism? Well, that means missing more than one day out of 10 or day of schooling every other week or 18 days out of the school year. It's nearly a month of potential learning time. So this is a big deal. Chronic absenteeism is going to affect how much kids learn. It's going to affect their relationships to other people. But for whom is this a major problem and which districts and which states? And, and so all of that needs to be unpacked. And to discuss that topic, I have with me Nat Melkis, the Deputy Director of Education Policy at AEI, or the American Enterprise Institute. He's the author of a just-released report on chronic absenteeism, and you can find it at the AEI website. So, Nat, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Paul, happy to be here. Well, Nat, you say that in 2019, 15% of students were chronically absent. Now, that's before COVID. So what's happened since? How has that 15% number changed nationwide as best you can tell us? Well, it's gone up. It's gone up a lot. Uh, look, in both 2018 and 2019, that number was dead on 15%, almost no movement. And you know, we should look at that 15% and be aware that people were calling that, um, a, you know, a bad level. Some people were calling it a crisis level then. That's about one in six students. Well, it almost doubled by 2022, uh, the, the, the first sort of um, year during the pandemic that wasn't majorly disrupted by, by closures. And um, since then, it's come down, which is good, but it hasn't come down much which is bad. So it went from uh, 15 to 28%. And in 2023, with the 39 states that we have data for, it's at 26%, or over one in four K through 12 students. So from 15% to 26% in 2023. Now, uh, how do you know this? How do you get your information on chronic absenteeism? I don't think we ever collected data on chronic absenteeism in the United States until fairly recently. So how do you get this information? That's true. Chronic absenteeism uh, was picking up a good bit of steam uh, around 2018. Um, in 2017, I was able to get it from state departments of education for about 21 states. And um, when you supplement it with some federal data, which I, I, I prefer less than the state data, but you can get solid numbers, um, if, if in exact, it was, it was pretty well covered from 2018 uh, onward. The reason that I've only got it for 39 states is because I'm getting it as soon as I can from state departments of education. And they're reporting this at the district level. And the reason I'm watching it is because we had these huge spikes in 2022, but Paul, remember that was the year of Omicron, right? The highest COVID case rates we ever saw. So if you had chronic absenteeism in 2022, you might say, well, it's the pandemic, stupid. Uh, when we see that in 2023, when the pandemic threat is so much lower, but chronic absenteeism is still hovering 75% above where it was pre-pandemic, 
Uh, I think it's really serious cause for concern. Well, definitely, because uh, you, you're not going to learn much at school if you're not if you're not going to school. This, but you don't think it's been crawling up over time. Uh, you know, if, if, if there must be some estimates for what life was like, you know, in 2010 or 2012 that that give you a sense of whether or not the whole 21st century has been moving towards uh, taking school less seriously or or isn't that the case? Is it just something that did happen with COVID? You know, there's numbers for uh, prior to 2017 and 2018 uh, in, around 12 uh, percent in 2012. But um, there's a little bit of uncertainty with uh, a chronic absenteeism measure that across the country wasn't gathered as systematically. Look, some states, um, California has this data going back, you know, 15 or more years, uh, but it's really a state by state uh, measure. Could it have been crawling? Yes. Um, but at, at any event, in 2018 and 2019, sort of a short path, but it was dead on 15%. And then the jump of 75% is definitely a huge kink caused by the pandemic. So um, I noticed that Alaska had the highest rate of absenteeism in 2019, and then it had this jump to 29%. Uh, by I think 2023, and correct me if I got those numbers wrong. But um, so, you have any thoughts about Alaska? I'm I'm about to go to Alaska this week, so I I want to hear what what you think about Alaska. Is that just because it's uh, cold up there? Well, so uh, Alaska actually in 2018 had 28 percent, and by 2023 it was at 40. Three oh, percent. So okay, so I really off the charts. Yeah, you know, Alaska. Alaska. Um, I wish I had more insight. Alaska's numbers on education can be a, a little bit out of step with uh, the lower forty-eight on a number of uh, reasons. Um, and, and I wish I had more insight. I will tell you this, Paul. What's interesting when you look at um, not only the state by state numbers, but by other subgroups too. Prior to the pandemic, there were some folks who had lower chronic absenteeism and others that had higher, but by and large, the increases look very similar. So if you had sort of a lower rate pre-pandemic, you have you know around 75% higher fairly consistently. And if you had a much higher rate pre-pandemic, you have an even higher rate now. So we see a pretty even increase um, you can see that across states, but you can definitely see that when you look at the kinds of districts that have differences. Um, you know, those that had more earlier on have a lot more now. So, so what are the good states? Where do we not have uh, as much chronic absenteeism either before or after? Yeah, it jumps around a little bit. You know, Alabama sort of had uh, some numbers that jumped around about 18% in 2018, 11% in 2019. Those are fairly enviable rates, but even more enviable is their 18% in both 2022 and 2023. Look, they didn't come down much in 2023, but off their previous baseline, uh, it doesn't look quite as bad. Um, the other thing that I'll have to say here is there's some big differences in states, and there's some question about, are they just tracking absenteeism with um, 
a, a more severe sort of regulatory and data capture regime, uh, and, and they have different business rules. So some of those rates look differently, but they may not be gathered exactly the same way. Uh, nonetheless, the increases, which is what I'm worried about, we see those pretty much in every state. So some some it isn't necessarily the case that chronic absenteeism has the same meaning in every state. So some of the state by state comparisons, one must be a little cautious about. Yeah, you know, we need to get this right. Generally speaking, we're talking about 10 percent of the time that they're enrolled, they missed 10 percent or more. However, the definition for how long they were enrolled can vary. So in some places, you have to be enrolled for 100 days. Others, it's a semester. In some states, it's 10 days. So um, you can get more absenteeism if you have more short-term enrollees in that denominator. And once you get into the weeds, Paul, it's pretty hard to get out of them. So tell me about this um question of online learning. I mean, the conventional wisdom is that if you had started learning online during COVID and if it persisted through a whole school year, lasted a long time, kids got used to going not to school. And uh, so getting them to go back to school was hard to do. And so maybe everything is a function of whether or not uh, schools were really closed for a long period of time or not. So what does your what's your evidence on that? Is, is it is it is this the driving force? Well, first of all, let me say that I haven't had time to model this carefully. But if you're just looking at the numbers for that sort of theory of the case, it was the school closures. Um, we're not seeing the huge patterns um, or huge patterns of difference by school closures. It is true. Those. Uh, the districts that tended to be closed longer had slightly greater jumps in chronic absenteeism in percentage point terms, but they also had slightly elevated chronic absenteeism beforehand. Look, I, I have a different theory of the case, Paul. I think that the pandemic was disruptive to sort of our habits and routines in schools uh, all over the place. You think about quarantines, you think about the sort of... Um, logics behind, well, how sick do you have to be to, to come to school? Pre-pandemic, it was, you'll be fine, kid, go to school. And post-pandemic, it's, well, if there's a sniffle, stay home. I think that that's what we're seeing because um, it, across really broad swaths, you see the same increases, uh, again, versus where you were pre-pandemic. So it is much worse for um, low-achieving districts than high achieving districts? Well, of course, that's almost true, obviously true, because low achieving districts, if you're not going to school, you're going to be a low achiever. So it, which is the chicken, which is the egg here? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not sure, but I will say that sort of um, the, it's going to harm low achieving districts more because they got hit the hardest by pandemic learning loss and more of their kids are out in just absolute terms. But in terms of how much worse they got, uh, the percentage change for both high achieving and low achieving districts is pretty similar. As far as what's causing this, I think it's um, uh, linked pretty deeply. And I don't know which one can be called chicken or egg. Yeah. 
Well, I suppose kids who don't do well at school don't like to go to school. And kids who are doing well at school like to go to school. So maybe it's a little bit of that that's going on here is that uh, a kid who's sort of reluctant to go to school now has an excuse not to go. I think that certainly could be the case. In fact, I don't doubt it at all. The more connected you feel to school, the more likely you're going to keep going if you're disconnected or or disengaged, I can imagine it's much less fun to uh, go to school and so forth. But when you look at these district differences, you also see these differences by, you know, across a group of districts. So um, if we're seeing that, we're, we're seeing things that may be less about individual action and more about sort of the cultures in those schools and in those areas. Well, is this just a big city phenomenon? I mean, I know that New York always, they're talking about chronic absenteeism like crazy and so it is in Chicago and Los Angeles. But so is, is this just really just the problem of the big cities? You know, that is a good question, but it is not just the big cities. It is true that urban districts are going to have um, a, a worse time of it. But actually, we saw big increases in the suburbs big increases, uh, even even slightly larger than the suburbs in town districts so uh, and, and rural districts. So this is a pretty broad-based shift. Um, and it's unfortunately not sort of like a narrow targeted thing that um, a couple of sort of SWAT teams can go in, change some policies and, and, and turn these numbers around quickly. So what do you think is, is driving this? Uh, is it could it be bullying at schools increased that the social problems in our society that were maybe aggravated by the pandemic uh, has made kids reluctant to go to school or maybe they're afraid to walk to school maybe it's crime what what do you do you think there's some of these social issues that are behind this so. First of all, let me say, I think all those kinds of issues contribute to chronic absenteeism. There's no doubt about it. If you don't feel safe, you're less likely to go to school. People talk about supports for kids who need clothes washed or have to work or they have transportation. Those are all real factors. The question is, did those factors increase by a factor of 90 or 75% during the pandemic? I find that a pretty big stretch which makes me think that it was the pandemic that really shook sort of the, the culture, uh, it, you know, in and around schools. And I don't mean just inside of schools, but the, the habits and routines of sending your, your kids to school got sort of loosened. People thought, well, quarantines aren't that big of a deal anymore. We have this technology that makes it not as big of a deal to miss school. And I'm afraid that that shift is actually wrong and that there's going to be a, a lot of pain on the backside of this chronic absenteeism that people just don't think was as big of a deal uh, before they went through a pandemic and all the disruptions that it brought. Well, maybe absenteeism isn't so serious anymore because you can uh, go online and you can learn online from home. So today I'm going to watch the teachers in the classroom, but I'll learn pretty much what I would have learned in the classroom if I went there. I think of that about faculty meetings. You can learn a lot about faculty meetings just by going online to the faculty meeting, isn't it? Maybe that's the way it is with uh, school. Well, first of all, I'd like to posit that there may be a difference in the value of faculty meetings and the value of school. I certainly hope that's the case, at least as far as faculty meetings reputation goes. 
Uh, and sure, I think a lot of people uh, think that. And I don't have the data to back this up uh, as it relates to these levels of chronic absenteeism. But um, I'd bet dollars to donuts that people are wrong in that wager, that actually going to school has a lot of benefits for students um, as far as learning, as far as engaging. I, I, I'm pretty bullish on schools. I think schools can be great places and very good for kids. And the idea that just sort of missing them and getting some technology um, to, to supplement what you miss seems to me to be a, a pretty weak T substitute. And again, this really alarms me because of the kinds of um, districts and students that were hit hardest by pandemic learning loss, they're the same places where we're seeing these huge spikes in chronic absenteeism. I think that's a terribly dangerous cocktail. So, um, you know, the PISA data came out recently and they showed that there was a decline in math. There was a big, big decline in math performance, but there wasn't much of a one in, in reading. So to me, that was a bit of a surprise. I mean, other countries suffered much more uh, reading loss than we did in the United States. But it did say if we had such an increase in chronic absenteeism, why didn't we see a bigger drop off? in uh, student performance on the reading test on the on the PISA that just came out. I gotta tell you, I find those PISA numbers a little hard to uh, puzzle over myself. High school students may have been able to uh, do a bit, little better over the pandemic without being in school. That may have especially been the case in reading. Of course, if you look at those reading scores, one thing you will notice, and you notice this on other NAEP tests for, for younger kids as well, is that the students in the 25th and 15th and 10th percentile, their scores dropped substantially more than the kids in the 75th and 90, 90th percentile. So that means achievement gaps are widening, but it also means that our lower scores may be doing worse and um, that may be masked by our higher performers doing a little better that might align a little bit more with these chronic absenteeism numbers. But I, I must say, the PISA numbers are puzzling and they don't fit quite as neatly in my mental model of the world as I um, had, had thought they would. So on the uh, chronic absenteeism of students, one of the things I've noticed in some data out there, and I don't know if you have anything on this or not, and that is that teachers are more likely to be chronically absent. The really absenteeism rate among teachers has uh, really climbed a lot. Have you checked into that? And could that be a force that's affecting the students? So first of all, I'm extremely concerned about this. It is sort of the next frontier that I'm trying to gather data on. That data is not as widely available at all as chronic absenteeism among students, but it certainly fits with a couple of things. First of all, it certainly fits with a, a, a culture of attendance. And we have seen ties between some ties in, in, in other literature between teacher absenteeism and student absenteeism. Um, look, if we have those two things going in tandem, that is a that would be a terrible pattern to look at. Because quite frankly, when I'm trying to get people to turn this chronic absenteeism trend around among students, I think we need to get teachers involved in doing that. If teachers are participating in the same kind of behaviors, we are really in trouble. Um, however, I haven't gotten to gather that data yet, and I just need a little bit of room to breathe after chasing down all, all these states across the past six years 
um, before I can establish whether I can see those patterns, at least where the data is. Yes, well, that's uh, that's interesting, and it's, uh, it's a possible uh, explanation for because after all, teachers are role models for students, and if teachers are, you know, by their behavior, sort of saying school's not quite as important as everybody says it is, well, then that's really going to communicate uh, something to the students. Well, I think that's right, and you brought up the connectedness, right? Well, students who might feel they're not doing as well in school, they feel less connected. Well, certainly if teachers are absent more, that connectedness is likely to go down. And then the ties that bind are getting weaker on multiple levels. Like I said, that sounds like a disaster to me. Well, I hear a voice out there listening to this podcast saying, well, what's what's he going to do about it? So that's, I guess I need to ask that question. What are the, what are the appropriate interventions? How can you change this picture? Well, this is a tough thing to change, right? So if you have sort of a, a subgroup who's suffering on reading, you can target a policy to try and help them. Uh, what I try and explain in the report is, look, this really looks like culture. We see percentage point changes that are pretty even, even though in some places this is a much worse problem. And uh, in schools, just like in businesses, I, you know, I think culture eats policy for breakfast day in, day out. So I really think that we need to approach this as a, as a cultural problem uh, if we have any hope of turning it around. And the other thing about that is, you know, culture reinforces itself. So the longer these high rates stay up, the harder it's going to get. One of the things that I don't think is necessarily sufficient, but I do think is necessary, is for us to have uh, sort of leaders around the country, and I'm talking to everybody from the president down to principals, making sort of a pivot to a lot of the exceptional pandemic practices we had in schools. Well, we need to quarantine. We need to be very careful about COVID spread. COVID threat is really sort of a, a very different thing. And it's important for us to do a hard pivot and those exceptional practices. And that includes what we do in schools, but it also includes what parents and students do. I think that they have a, a moral and let's face it, they have a legal obligation to get their kids to school. And I really think that we need to be able to give them uh, meaningful supports. And I mean that lots of supports, but we also need to bring the consequences that come with not going to school. Uh, we sort of were consequences free for a lot of the pandemic, and that's going to lead to a softening of these norms. Well, that's uh, true. You know, tardiness used to be something. If you were tardy for school, if you were penalized, and if you didn't come to school at all, well, the truant officer could come after you. Do we have truant officers anymore? Well, there are there some places, and yes, you can get into trouble. Um, although I think truant, truancy offers, officers are less politically popular than they might have been at one point. Um, but look, you know, the question here isn't just one of, of sort of punishment. It's one of whether there are consequences. And I think that we need to be able to show some carrots and some sticks on this because, look, we have a lot more people that are chronically absent. And so the, 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 the real threat of consequences, a lot of people say, well, I don't think that's going to work. Well, we have a whole bunch more people that need to be uh, looking at these consequences, and, and they may work. 
because they weren't chronically absent and now they are. So I think that actually showing that this has consequences is important because Paul, I think this will have consequences for kids. And whether we bring the consequences to get them in school or let them bear the long-term consequences of failure to graduate, failure to uh, meet the opportunities that schools can provide, uh, someone has to pay the piper. And I'd rather us change the culture now than see what comes 10 years down the road. Well, Ned, I think you're telling me that the president should use his bully pulpit to uh, talk to America's school children and tell them about the risks of not going to school. Has this administration been a failure because it hasn't really highlighted the importance of education? And they've sort of, I haven't heard the Secretary of Education, the US Secretary of Education saying much of anything. And he certainly, I don't remember hearing him talk about this topic. Is this a failure of this administration? Well, look, it's not a complete failure. President Biden came out in October or November and had a, a, a press event on chronic absenteeism. It was sort of a one-shot deal that I don't think was enough, but it wasn't nothing. And um, the Secretary of Education had an event, uh, you know, a few weeks back and chronic absenteeism played a high um, priority in that. I hear those things, but the question is, are we going to hear that this is a high enough priority to actually change people's behavior? And if that's the standard, I don't think that we're getting it early or often enough to really change, certainly parents' behavior, but even to give sort of political cover to governors who wanna flex on this and for governors to give political cover to superintendents and superintendents to principals to say, there's consequences if we don't turn this around. And so, yeah, I think the principal, but uh, I mean the president, um, but certainly governors as well. Look, in my mind, if they're not hitting the table about this on a regular basis, um, they're not leading. Well, are you advocating a national commission on chronic absenteeism, like we had the National Commission on Educational Excellence? You get a group of people together and they the panel reports, and then you make sure the New York Times covers it, and then you then you you get behind it. Is this what we, we, we need? We need to really mobilize public opinion through a, in an organized and coherent way. I, I think that's right. I think that, you know, I, as dubious as I am about national commissions and their own effectiveness, not having one for what I see is the greatest challenge to public schools right now. That's right. Even greater than pandemic learning loss, um, sort of seems like, um, you know we're 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 missing uh, the real fight here, and so I would encourage everything to amplify this message because look, if we sit at these numbers where one in four students nationwide is missing a tenth of the school year, that's almost a month of school. Um, we're really courting disaster and just you know not addressing that problem. It's obvious. And it's not, it's going to be an uphill battle. So I really think we need to get everybody into the game. Well, a good friend of mine has come up with a completely alternative approach. And that is at the individual level, saying that there are 25 different reasons. Uh, she says there's 25 different reasons for why uh, students are chronically absent. And you've got to find out what's the problem with each person. Then you've got to get a mentor who really takes an interest in that student. And then you 
that mentor talks to them and, and then tries to find out, is there a way we can address the issues? Maybe it's because the mother is sick or maybe because somebody's got to prepare food in the morning or it could be a whole, any number of different factors, but all of them would require to be addressed in each in their own way. Do we need to create a system of mentoring for students who are chronically absent? On the one hand, look, I'm fine with mentoring as a means to do this. And yes, individual interventions matter. But to fix this problem, we're going to need 12 million mentors. That's a lot of mentors to find. So it, that can't be our only solution to the problem, even if it is probably a pretty effective one. Uh, mentorship, home visiting programs, these are the kinds of things that can actually change people's lives where you reach in and intervene. But let's face it. That takes a lot of resources, a lot of organization, a lot of money, and um, uh, it can be part of the solution. But if if we wait for a mentoring program to get up to uh, be the thing to address this, I think we're not bringing enough resources to the um, to the fight. So um, I got to ask you one question because it's not in your data. But I, I'm curious, and that is, who is chronically absent? Is it the old kids that are just about to, to leave school uh, and they're bored and sick with it? Or is it the littlest kids who are just beginning school and their parents are keeping them home because of fear of whatever? So, or is it across the board? Well, so it's yes, yes, and yes, which seems confusing, but let me answer that quickly. The, the, the high schoolers have the highest rates of chronic absenteeism, generally speaking. Uh, and that makes sense. And remember, it's important to note, chronic absenteeism isn't just unexcused absences. It's not just truancy. It's truancy plus actual absences. Um, but if you miss 10% of the year, it doesn't matter whether it's excused or not. It's bad. Uh, nonetheless, you have it higher in high school. And then we also see it spiking in sort of kindergarten. It's really high in kindergarten. I, I think that kind of makes sense too, because people are not as worried about absences in kindergarten. Um, so in absolute terms, both pre and post pandemic, it's lower in sort of the elementary grades. That said, the proportional increases pre to post pandemic are pretty even across grades. So that means our ninth grade increased, what, 75%? So did our second grade rates. And that's alarming because that suggests that parents have a major uh, part in this game. They may not be as bad as high school students, but uh, I don't know if that's the bar we should be settled with. So I really think it's a, it's a pretty even problem, but in absolute terms, it's worse in high school. Well, thank you, Nat, for really... Uh illuminating a problem that uh, a lot of people would like to sweep under the rug. And thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Happy to be here, Paul. Thanks. I have been speaking with Nat Melkus. He's the Deputy Director of Education Policy at the American Enterprise Institute. He's the author of a just released uh, report on chronic absenteeism. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.